0: Nathan, this is episode number 97 of The Nathan Seawood Show.
1: The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you
0: to live an extraordinary life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Hope you're having a great start of the week. Super excited to talk to these guys, Tristan and Michael, today. One, because they're super interesting. One, because they're hugely successful. And three, because it's all because of me. (laughs) Because These guys are... two amazing people that worked with me for uh, a year last year and when they came to me they were desperate they were struggling they were on their knees and i turned them into the huge success <laughs> that i now present to you uh, <laughs> absolutely not true these guys are my favorite clients because they're the type of people that already have generated incredible lives for themselves and are looking for that little edge that little uh, you know insight that can add huge value to them and, and get them even more success than they're enjoying Guys, so excited to have you here, Tristan and Michael. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, great to have you here. Let me say a little bit about you. So you are two of uh, LA's leading public speaking coaches. You specialize in helping people communicate in high-stress environments, which we're going to dive into. Uh, Your story started when Michael coached Tristan from zero public speaking experience to the World championship. Of public speaking finals in just seven months. Uh, And since then, you've coached some of the world's top creators, leaders, and entrepreneurs to speak more effectively in the moments that matter most. Very cool. So it's like a very specific niche that you've carved out for yourselves. You've experienced this yourself. Tristan, you've gone all the way to the world finals of public speaking. And it's not just about the speaking, is it? It's not just about trying to create a speaking business or or something like that. There's something a little bit deeper in what you do. Can you touch on that a little bit, Tristan? Maybe you could speak to that first. Thanks. Thanks for that
1: wonderful introduction. It is definitely about more than speaking. And I didn't didn't realize this. I didn't know I was going to stumble into this when I started competing. I knew I was going to become a better speaker if I trained Uh, you know, how to give a, a great speech and if I competed in this. But as I went through each step of the competition, all I felt was more and more imposter syndrome. You know, three months in, I had won the regional competition in Los Angeles. And I was now selected to be one of 100 speakers to be flown to Vancouver and compete in the semifinals. And Michael kept telling me like, wow, you're you're becoming a really good speaker. And everybody else was saying the same thing. People who'd see me speak and watch me give this impeccable rendition of my very well rehearsed, crafted speech, they would say, Wow, that's really impressive. You, you're such a great speaker. And then people would make jokes about wanting to invite me to their wedding and give a toast and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> and those jokes were only funny to them. I would just laugh nervously because, to be very honest, it petrified me. It was the, so freaking scary. For me to be put on the spot. And the weirdest thing was even three months into competing and getting to that level, I, I was still equally scared. It didn't, it really didn't change much on, the, on that side of my ability. And that was really, it was unnerving. And because I had that stature now and people were more likely to call on me, it just, it started to make me feel very, very queasy. And I, I love this.
0: I'm going to just interrupt you for a minute because this parallels so much of you know, what we experience in business and I, I imagine other parts of life where for me as a coach, it was super exciting to get into coaching five years ago and then starting to get clients was super exciting. And then all of a sudden I was someone you know, as a coach. And then now I felt like I had this, this pressure to now be someone like I, I felt like I couldn't have my own shit going on. in the background, right? So the the imposter syndrome didn't get better. It got worse. And it's so interesting that you you felt that during this journey.
1: Yeah. It's paralyzing. It's even more paralyzing than it used to be because before you didn't have pressure and you're still, you still have the natural pressure of people asking if you, for, for a coach, you know, you're in that position where I need to perform in this moment. And if you're called on, even at a dinner with friends, like I used, when I was a kid, I just kept being sent back to this memory of me being a kid sitting in class, teacher asking me something, me sort of blanking and just turning beet red. And I could I knew (laughs) the symptoms exactly of like when it would start and I knew when it would start, it would only get worse. And the worst scenario was with family or friends because I felt like they wouldn't be my friends anymore as a result, which is crazy. But I could just and then everybody's the deepest
0: part of the imposter syndrome, isn't it? Like that fear of just being abandoned and being alone. Rejected from the tribe.
1: Yeah, exactly. One
0: hundred percent. What did it look like as you went through? As you got closer and closer, what did being paralyzed look like? What did it well, feel like? I suppose
1: I powered through it at that time. Like all, I, I just went even harder. I would just force myself to hold on to the mask as best I could. But I was noticing deep down that I wasn't feeling comfortable, and that's when I started having to put myself in situations where I didn't know what I was going to say. So that second phase of the competition where suddenly... So I had this speech that I iterated upon that got me to, the, to win the district right, and qualify. But now everybody said, okay, so this speech, you should use it for your semifinal speech because you've, you've uh, tested it out. But if you win the next day, the very next day, you're on a stage with nine of the best speakers in the world, allegedly, and you have to give a final speech. So you have to land in Vancouver with two speeches ready to go. And I only had one. And so wow. now I'm suddenly in front of a blank sheet of paper. It was a nightmare this,
0: scenario for me and everybody
1: watching it. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was exciting for me for the first five seconds. And then once I was in front of that blank sheet of paper thinking like, okay, no biggie. I've, you know, I just learned how to speak in public three months ago. Now I just have to write the speech that's going to win the world championships that's going to be on YouTube forever live (laughs) broadcasted to the world and given in front of 3000 people, no problem there. And I just started like losing it. And Michael kept pushing me to go out and try new ideas on new audiences. Cause I already put myself, I trapped myself in a, in an awesome environment where I used fancy hands, this virtual, virtual assistant, online virtual assistant system. And I had them book a speech a day for me leading up to the competition. So I would go meet Michael, who used to work at Hulu. I'd meet him in a conference room at Hulu. We'd meet in the morning and we'd brainstorm ideas. And then he'd sort of like push me out so he could get to work, do the real work. And I had to go a few hours later, give my speech in front of an audience. And I only had a half-baked joke I wanted to try and a few ideas, but I I didn't have that Perfect seven-minute speech that I was going to give. I just wanted to try things out, but obviously the people there couldn't know that if I wanted to have great feedback. And so they would introduce me, ladies and gentlemen. We're so excited today. Tristan De Montebello, the next world champion, potentially here. And like it's a am- we're gonna, we're about to see an insane speech. And I was wow, the only one in the room sure. who knew that I didn't. Not only did I not have an insane speech, I didn't have a speech. <laughs> and but little by little. I started to get a little bit more comfortable in those situations. And Michael would try to push me to say like, I tell myself I'm a good speaker. Before those situations, he'd say, just tell yourself you're a great speaker over and over. And I knew it was a lie because I didn't feel like a great speaker and I knew I wasn't a great speaker yet. All I knew is I was great at over the course of three months crafting and iterating on a speech until it became great. And I was great at performing it. Right? I knew every word, every breath, every comma, every laugh, I, everything was in my
0: control. But suddenly... So you, you, saw, you saw that differently to being a great speaker. You words. felt like a, a great performer.
1: Yeah. I felt like, like, oh, I can, I can transition to theater or something. You know? Give me a script and I'll, and I'll overperform it. No problem. <laughs> That's all I knew. But suddenly when I'm in front of an audience and I have to... Now I don't know what to say and i have to fill in the gaps in the moment and i and i have to rely on a completely different skill set that i'm building now which is the skill of becoming super present completely aware of where i am of accessing flow in order to notice what's coming up in my body and in my brain and to pick the right next word or the right next idea and go with it with absolute confidence That skill set, I didn't know much about. That's the skill set that I started building. And that's the skill set that I never could have anticipated I needed the most, but that changed my life. Suddenly, little by little, I started feeling that that underlying anxiety buzz started dissipating until it was basically gone. It would only peak when I'd be called upon, but that was normal. And I knew exactly, I was so familiar with that feeling after, you know, 30 40 speeches that i where i didn't know what i was going to say next so that's the skill that changed everything and that's what we're spending our time helping people
0: with oh man that's amazing thank you for uh thank you for that story i can't wait to dive more into that um Michael, thanks for being here. Thanks for waiting patiently. Oh, yeah. No no worries. I've never heard this story before. So it's (laughs) fascinating fascinating to me. Uh, So Tristan touched on it a few times, having you there as a support, you there coaching him, you there, you know, providing this insight. So, how do you get into this world? How do you find yourself? You know, where were you leading up to this, this moment where you're now coaching someone?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think most people are fascinated to learn two things about me and Tristan. Number one, we both have degrees in computer science. And that that's not something you'd expect from a public speaking coach. And number two, we both came into public speaking purely by accident. And for Tristan, I know he was learning, he was going to learn piano instead of public speaking, like talk about a, a last minute change. Mm. For me, I had no idea this was even a skill I wanted to get better at. I just remember I was working at Symantec graduated college doing an engineering role and got promoted, or I, I asked if I could switch to project management. And for anyone that's done project management, especially for tech, what I didn't realize was that in that role, not only do you have to present to people that are high above your pay grade, just, uh, this entire room of stakeholders, but you're often the least knowledgeable person in the room about everything. Cause you're you're not in the code you're not doing the work you're just managing the work that's being done yeah. so i would find myself constantly just anxiety ridden because i'd have to I, I knew okay i'm gonna wake up go to this meeting and i'm gonna have to speak in front of vice presidents about things that i don't know and it just it's it scared the shit out of me
0: Is the imposter syndrome in another form a
2: hundred percent and You know, I think that's why I'm so passionate about communication now is, is you can really, you can really tell a person by how they express themselves. And at that point, I really focused on what I didn't know, what I couldn't do. And the things that I did know, I couldn't really express that well because the pressure of having to perform as a recent grad is, is pretty high. You know, your Mm -hmm. entire job depends on it.
0: And so, and you, can I ask you a question about that? Are you, yeah. are you looking around and feeling like everybody is way better than this than me? Oh, they—they like, they are. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So I think it's a common thing about the imposter syndrome is you look around, you only see what people present on the outside, and you go, "God, yeah. I'm sitting here like holding it together," and everybody else seems like this. Is, they do this every day. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I, I had that over and over. And you know, in that time of my life, I just I was very unhappy. Um, I think it was the closest I came to depression. You know, I'm, I'm, I stuck at my job. I'm not doing well. I don't enjoy it. I can't think of anything else this degree could transfer towards. And of course my pivotal moment, which uh, I've shared many times before was, was in a particular meeting where I was speaking, presenting to just my team, just people I see every day. And my, my mind just blanked and I froze mid-sentence no idea what word was coming to mind. I couldn't grasp onto anything. And the silence was so long that my manager stepped in, finished my sentence for me, and continued the meeting. And everybody left. Uh, meeting was over. Nobody thought twice about it. Uh, but of course, to me, it was like my uh, my downfall. And I, I took out my laptop. I, I drafted my letter of resignation. I just <laughs> write it. This is it. I'm not cut out for leadership. I'm not cut out for much. And, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew what I was no longer going to do. And that's do this job.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. So how do you get into speaking? How do you get into the speaking world? Uh, I know you've, we, We've talked in the past about yeah. you feeling like you, you wanted to take control of like the lack of confidence or.
2: That's exactly what it was. My dad said not to quit. Maybe one of the greatest things I've done is to call him before sending my letter of resignation. He really said, go to, go tackle your weaknesses. You know, don't run away from, from what you fear. And I didn't know speaking was the problem. I just remember going back to my desk, opening up Google and typing how to be more confident. And yeah, I got really lucky because the first search result was a link to something called Toastmasters which is like this public... You're like
0: the Google Ads dream, by the way. (laughs) You know, when you think of like writing a Google Ad, you like, does anybody actually just put in how to be confident into a Google search? (laughs) Turns out they do. One guy, Los Angeles, (laughs) young 20s. I got one result out of the California area. Yeah.
2: I mean, the first link could have been a a bodybuilding link. We could have been having a totally different (laughs) conversation. Tristan could have been like this 300-pound... (laughs) <laughs> muscular guy but i i found public speaking instead and it led me to toastmasters um which i didn't know what it was at the time but it's just a an organization around the world where people like me go to practice and there's no teacher there's no instructor it's just everyone learns from each other it's
0: and what i remember
2: humongous thirty thousand people. people no no, no that's oh. way way it's more true. yeah but what's important to note about Toastmasters is they teach you two main skills. The first one is prepared speaking. That's the competition that Tristan was in. That's the art of storytelling, of preparing and delivering a speech. But the second one is called impromptu speaking. And I just remember on my first day, I walked in, I'm watching people go up left and right, get asked questions on the spot and they're answering so masterfully that (laughs) That I knew this had to be a trick. There is no way they couldn't have prepared for this, but of course they they didn't. It was all on the spot, all spontaneous. It looked like magic, and that's when I knew that is the skill I wanted to learn. And lucky for me, I just took to it. I kept coming back to Toastmasters. I kept studying this this skill and and trying to understand what is it because it's it's part theater, you know, it's part magic. It's, it's part of it is just the facade of what you put out to the outside. And part of it is all the inner game. How does your brain operate in the moment under pressure and high stress? How does it think strategically? There's all these different techniques that I was seeing and I wanted to learn all of them. And so what I found is that that skill, the skill of speaking on the spot, that is the skill that transformed my life. I'd walk back into work and I would feel like I was the most confident person in the room. Um, I remember negotiating my salary and I had two conversations in two months and I effectively doubled what I was making. And at that point, I realized like, wow, this is, this is really a world that favors communicators and not just any type of communicator, but the ones that handle themselves well in the moment. And so that only fueled my fire.
0: Wow. That's beautiful, Michael. Well told. Yeah. The world values communicators that's a a great way to look at it because I've often heard the same thing said for selling, right? Like a lot of people are scared of selling, but when you sort of zoom out, it's about selling is really about how do you connect what you have to somebody that wants it on the most simple level. And that can be on a date, that can be asking for a job, can be asking for a pay rise or uh, acquiring new clients. Uh, But that's a really, really beautiful way to put it. Two things that stand out from both of your stories is feeling the imposter syndrome and then maybe wanting to quit which I guess a lot of us do. I'm sure I've quit many times at that point uh, in different ways, but actually continuing through the discomfort and then that actually leading yeah. you to something much more than you could have expected, which I love. Before we go on, I just want to, uh you've got the, Official whiskey glass salute from Steve. Sims. Steve's, uh, <laughs> Steve's like one of the uh, the great speakers out in LA. He's uh, wow. runs uh, the Bluefish Group, which creates these incredible experiences for uh, you know high net worth individuals and, and celebrities and stuff. So Steve is giving this salute because I know how much he believes in uh, in public Cheers. speaking and the power of it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for watching.
2: Yeah, it's it's good you mentioned that Nathan because I think <sighs> that a lot of people we meet now are plagued by imposter syndrome. That's why you're right in saying it's much bigger than speaking. You know, I remember in my journey, when I became more confident in my communication, I started feeling more confident about every aspect of myself in life. And so now I was a better performer, not because I was smarter or learned a new skill. I just felt like, like now I deserve to be here. You know, if there's something I didn't know in the past, I would have Beat myself up for it. In the present, I can say, you know, I don't know that I'll check up on it and I'll be totally okay with it. And so I think that when people come to us, they, they come often from this sense of, of I'm not good enough. Everyone else is better and I need to improve my communication to, to keep up. And they're not wrong, but it's also not the only way. What we found is that when you do get better at communicating, at speaking, it just seeps into every aspect of your
0: life. Yeah, I mean, your business could be called an antidote for uh, imposter syndrome. (laughs) would be another way to look at it. My my coach said to me a long time ago, and it's something that's set with me, I wrote about this a a few weeks ago, about uh, presence over performance. And I think it touches on a lot about what you guys are teaching. And it was such a small thing, but it was... It was life changing. It's something that I sit with almost every day. And the way I practiced this afterwards was I I was at a, a workshop in London for about 25 men. It was a men's workshop, and I had an hour allocated to speak. And I thought to myself, God, what if I didn't prepare anything? What if I just showed up and just trusted myself in the moment? And I wanted to just do that as an experiment to see how I reacted to that idea leading up to it. And it was so amazing how much I wanted to prepare. So, you know, the performance part is, I think, how most of us operate, is that we try to think ahead of time what's going to sound impressive, what will be the thing that looks good, what will, what will have me not uh, embarrass myself, right? We, we, it's, it's coming from a place of fear. We want to perform and we want to put, keep the facade up that we have everything together, as yes. opposed to presence being show up and just, just trust yourself in every moment. And so it was amazing in the days leading up how much my mind was like, okay, well, just, just get the first line. Just, just have the first thing that you'll say. And I was like, okay. And then I'd go, no, no, it's okay. Let's just show up. And I did. I ended up standing up in front of this group of people and just standing there. I was shaking. My heart was pounding. I was sweating. And then I just started speaking about that. I just started naming all the sensations I was feeling. And then I started asking people in the audience what they were feeling about this odd scenario. And then I said, hey, you know, we have an hour and i have nothing prepared so where should we go from here and you know i don't i'm not gonna say it was the greatest hour of performance ever it wasn't but it's i certainly didn't die everybody got value i still have people that come up to me two years later going god i remember that moment when you just stood up and, and you had nothing to say and it was so powerful for me because people recognize the courage that it takes to do that right because we all struggle with this so that was a, a life-changing moment for me of going gosh if I never prepare for anything, a date, a talk, a podcast ever again, something is going to come up and it's going to be okay.
1: I think that to a certain extent, we should approach a lot of things that way because what most of us, I think, mess up is that we prepare, which is in many cases a great thing, right? And preparation can mean many different things, right? You, When you walked up on that stage, you had actually prepared, you'd prepared in becoming The version of you that you were that day, right? Right.
0: Already there by mistake. Exactly.
1: You were not there by mistake. That's what we feel, Michael and I, when we show up to our masterclasses or our coaching. We can only prepare to a certain extent because we have no idea who's going to show up and how they're going to be in that moment. But the way we prepare is in building our skill up every day. If you're giving a, a prepared presentation or you're in a meeting, you do have to prepare. So you have to know your content in and out. You have to know your stuff, but it doesn't change that in the moment you have to switch in the moment. You have to switch to, okay, all of this preparation, I put it completely aside and I'm going to accept to come into this with a completely open mind and to focus on being completely present in the moment. And that's really what do you
0: think that what do you think that opens up? I know this is a lot of coaches watch this uh, show. So uh, it's the same thing for coaching, right? What my belief is that to be the best coach, I just have to keep working on myself. I have to make sure I'm working with a coach. I've got to constantly be reading books, going on courses. And then when I get in front of a client, there's no, you know, I'm not coming in with a framework or the 10 things, the 10 steps to work through the call. I can throw all out of the way, trust that I've been doing the work on myself, and then I just be present. So what do you think that opens up that, say, over-preparing or performance doesn't? Trust. Hmm. Uh, We were talking to a clinical
2: hypnotherapist in London, and he owns a restaurant. That's his main line of business. And he was saying how, you know, I tried using some of these hypnotherapy scripts that I learned to help my team perform better. And help program more successful patterns in them. And they were all very willing to try. And it wasn't really working. Then he started working with us a little bit. And we're introducing these concepts of you already know your material. Trust yourself more. Forget the script. See if you can do it live on the spot right now. And we kept through the sessions building the habit of trusting that you already know your stuff and practicing saying it in all these sorts of different ways and so he'll go through one script and he'll say one way but he'll miss a few things a second time he'll get those few things but he'll miss something else he'll say it 10 different times but what he starts to notice is that the essence of what he wants to cover remains and as he gets this practice he begins to realize that oh i don't need to hit my scripts word for word in fact it doesn't all the details don't even matter What matters is how focused am I on what I'm saying versus how focused am I on remembering a particular detail. So I think it's the same in coaching. If you show up with an with a script or if you show up with a plan, you're up in your head. You're not present. You're not serving people the way that you could be if you were totally tuned in to the moment. And so I think that what we've discovered, because we by no means knew this from the get-go, is that we really don't trust ourselves enough to perform spontaneously. We think that something could go wrong. And even that belief alone, that, that focus on, on the what-ifs is harming us. There's very few people who have the confidence to go into a situation without preparing for it and having the belief that, you know what, in the moment, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to know what to say. I know my stuff, and it's going to go well. But we found that that mindset, even if it sounds delusional, even if it sounds like you don't deserve that mindset, that mindset has been the mindset we've seen in all the top performers in this skill of speaking. And it's the mindset that we want to continue building for ourselves as well.
0: How do you manage? Like One thing that was helpful for me was, was going, uh, it wasn't so much trusting myself that if I'm present that it's going to work out, but it was going, even if it doesn't work out, who cares? right? Like if I, I would much rather get on stage, be super present and just allow whatever wants to come up, come up and it may not hit anything. I don't think I'm going to embarrass myself, but even if I do, it's much more important to me to be present. I think, am I on the wrong track there?
1: I think if it doesn't hit and you're present, you're going to recover in a way that'll be extremely powerful, Mm. right? And, And in the end, it's probably going to be very powerful and i think that's the real secret if we think about speaking if you go in and you know every line that you're going to say right because you're you're you've been dying of anxiety for the 3 days before that meeting or that presentation and you know everything you're learning it sequentially so if somebody coughs in the middle of a sentence and you have a moment of fear then you've lost everything you you just have a gap and there's nothing there anymore and a lot of people come to us because of that, right? But if you walk in and you've pulled out the pure essence of what you want to talk about, you know that the only, there's only one thing you really want to get across to your audience, then it doesn't matter where you go. Then it doesn't matter if somebody coughs, falls down, if somebody you have to give CPR, then you can come back and say, okay, where were we? doesn't matter. This is where I want to go, right? So I I think that if you're present, you can't fail unless you didn't have the skill to start out with which is basically almost never the case with the people we meet and with right situations you're going to be in
0: it, it reminds me of improv too what i learned at improv was you know if someone does start coughing or there is a, someone needs cpr don't ignore it yes. like that's something that is happening in the present moment and yes. so again like instead of trying to keep to the script and go oh god pretend it's not happening Bring it up. It's happening in the moment. Incorporate that. that speak sense. to it, and everyone will exhale if you do that, because they can is, feel you holding on.
2: I, I really learned this from you, Nathan. Um, we had a whole year talking about the the way of living life, and I came into the coaching with a very controlling way of life. You know, if it's if it's to be, it's up to me. And you introduced me to this paradigm that I didn't really understand at the time, which was all about surrender and trusting that things are going to work out and maybe they're not going to work out according to your plan but they are going to go according to some plan and who's to say that the way they work out aren't isn't even going to be better than you could have ever imagined and i think that's that mindset has really empowered me in speaking as well i've really grown a lot in that department as well because you're absolutely right if someone coughs or you your slides get mixed up, or something goes not according to plan, there is an opportunity there f- to connect deeper with the audience, you know, to crack a joke, to pivot towards something more in the moment. Uh, I think we call it inspired thoughts, things that just come up and and you follow it. There could be great potential there, but so often we don't even get to witness it because we want things to go a certain way. And uh, not only is that a very rigid way of speaking, I've really learned from you. It's, it's a very rigid way of living to have things go according to plan. So the more we keep doing this, the more we keep learning that this is so much more than speaking. This is, this is a way of being that, that we're not the first to discover by any means, but it sure feels like we're onto something meaningful and, uh, and we're just excited by what we're finding.
0: That's beautiful. It speaks to, you know, maybe we can touch on this for a little bit, just the two of you, your own journey in, in business. Yeah. It's so I guess it would be the same for me in coaching as you go, Oh, I want to help people. And so you start figuring out how to do that or what the best channel would be to do that. But really, I had no idea. I had no idea I'd be sitting in New York talking to you guys who I've coached and on a podcast and you're talking about your, you know, I could never have predicted that this is where it would end up. But it's become something so much deeper and so much richer than I could have ever, ever predicted. And I see the same thing for you guys. Your business is kind of, I guess you came into it going, Oh, you know, we're into speaking and we can see some power in that. And then it's, it's iterated in 30 different directions over the last couple of years. How have you handled that? Again, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, how have you navigated just where to take your business and and how to figure out where you can have that impact?
1: I think it really helped that it's two of us. That's been such an extraordinary gift. I've, I've led businesses alone uh and I've led them with partners, but I've never led them with Michael Gendler. <laughs> and <laughs> there's been a, I mean, we found this out during the competition that there we had an uncanny ability to work together. Yeah. Both of us recognized that, you know, Even down to our sense of humor, we, we spend our days laughing. It's crazy how much chemistry we have in a non-romantic way. Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this, I think having two people has allowed us to, it's like pulling part of your brain out and conversing with it. So. We've, we've had to go through this crazy, crazy maze and we've had conversations with you where we'd show up, the two of us and say, you know, everything's going well or not. But in both cases, where do we go next? What should be, we be focusing on and having that ability to discuss about, you know, what is the North Star? And at one point it was, we're amplifiers. We just, so we help people have a bigger impact with their speaking. And we were only helping people on stage at the time. And so that's how we started out. And we said, okay, well, we only want to amplify the message of people where they have a good message, a message we believe in. So we started focusing on that. Very quickly, we found out that it was too niche for us or too niche in general, probably, even though I I think there's value there. But suddenly we started discovering that there is something more powerful, just like in the competition, I discovered that there was something much more meaningful that was having an impact on my life. And so we started following that route. And but it's it's evolved so much. And today we're in a situation where we've really sharpened our skill set. And we're starting to have some tools that are remarkably powerful that still surprise us in in what we're capable of doing, but we're not entirely sure who where we should be wielding this tool. You know, when we were just doing a workshop at, for Delta Airlines, which was a dream for us two years Amazing. ago. And, it was, and we're starting to play with building culture and we're starting to play around with very, a very deep and true version of team building.
0: We're also yeah, because imagine a whole team that was coming from this place, right? We were, mm-hmm. Everyone was not full of imposter syndrome and trying to do the right thing and not, you know, not get it wrong. What if a whole team could show up? present in the moment and allow their genius to come out
1: 100 percent. and then you're going to have teams that are at completely different levels right new teams that don't interact well that don't know each other well that haven't opened up to each other that happens a lot in big corporations where you just you walk in the door and you put on the professional mask and the personal person is somebody that's completely different Mm -hmm. which is one of the root causes for a lot of these the issues we see
0: um, yeah, it feels like that that hopefully that's dying out that kind of old corporate culture, but I'm sure there's a lot of places where it's still very present. To that point, uh, and just to come back to what you said before about you guys being a great team, I was talking to this uh, VC the other day and talking to entrepreneurs and startup and seed round and VC and it makes my head explode. But um he was saying like looking at uh startup entrepreneurs, and I was talking about my business, and he said the only I I did not agree with this, but it was interesting. He goes, the only opportunity for a coach and a startup is co-founder relationship. And I I had to go away and think, hang on a minute, that's like one part of what I do, but not everything. But I was, I later on kind of went, who was I talking to? Oh, it was a guy that was putting money into a business that needed to get a return. And I was trying to figure out how he was seeing the world. And he was seeing it that the co-founder relationship is something that could make or break the business and thus his investment. If you're willing, can you take us into sort of the good, bad, and ugly of your relationship as co-founders? The moments where it maybe hasn't worked and how you've navigated it? Yeah, Because we we can see the good parts, right? But what are some of the struggles? Let me take out my
2: list of complaints. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's let's turn this into a coaching session.
2: I'll tell you this. I'll start with the good because it really is the biggest competitive advantage we have to to similar types of companies or businesses,
0: uh, it's like any relationship, right? Like if you get the right combination, it's an exponential experience.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, if we didn't enjoy each other's company, this this wouldn't exist, you know? Because the difficult moments are tough to get through with people you don't like, and you <laughs> you wouldn't even want to stick with a project for multiple multiple years if you really weren't enjoying.
0: A nightmare, nightmare would be having a multi-million dollar business with somebody that you would start now to trapped. hate. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I think sure it's happened a lot.
2: Yeah. So imagine you're going into a coaching session as you always do. And you've done hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of sessions now. And so what do you get out of it? You get what you experience in the moment and then you hang up the call and then you sort of maybe take a few minutes and you're like, how did that go? And at least for me, I don't really like beating myself up anymore. So I try and really focus on the positives of it. And so I'll go, okay, it went well. And then maybe there's something that worked and I'll keep it in my toolbox. But I'm only a percent better for my next call. When Tristan and I go into coaching, we get to watch each other coach. We get to see what's happening with a bird's eye view. And so afterwards the feedback that we're able to give each other is really unfair because it's like watching a, uh, tapes, old footage of your of your gameplay and reviewing. And you get that lens, that honest feedback that very few people get. No one gets to see you coach. It's such a personal experience, but for us, we do. And to have the- There's no hiding. There's absolutely not. And so that's one skill I've really improved uh, since meeting Tristan is just the ability to receive feedback because at first I would have to like mentally prepare for, for Tristan to just share any sort of constructive criticism mm. um, because I, I didn't like it. I didn't like looking back and going, man, I, I really didn't do that well and there's kind of well, a shame. Especially
0: like a, a lot of entrepreneurs, we, we start our business from a place of not good enough and wanting oh, to really? prove that we can achieve or prove that we can grow this business. So if you have any of that hanging around, that kind of feedback is going to just bring it up straight away.
2: Absolutely. And so with, as with any feedback, your attention to your weaknesses makes you want to polish them and turn them into strength. But attention to your strengths makes you feel like they're superpowers and now you really lean into them. And so having this relationship hmm. where we're able to reflect to one another this accurate description or at least our perception of each other's coaching just helps shape it helps create the discussion around it. And so I think we've really grown a lot together simply because we've got to peek into each other's coaching and and we get to do it together. We take most of our coaching always in the same room together. And I think it's a huge, huge blessing for both of
0: us. And so how do you navigate the the more difficult parts where I know I've facil- facilitated a couple of conversations where I could sense that something was being unsaid. How do you do that now? Like, How do you have you created a way where you can check in with each other, Where there's like an open forum where you can say maybe what's not being said? I
1: think we've created in part, thanks to you. Um, this is a wonderful podcast for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but definitely, you know, when we were in our, our, we did our extraordinary adventure, our adventure for a life. Oh yeah. Let's,
0: let's come back to that. Let's, let's come get, back to that. Right. That. We
1: went to New Zealand together and we were, in a car and I was telling you a story and then I don't know how it happened, but Michael shared that he didn't like the way I told my story or he it just he wasn't was, well told it was Phenomenal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what was, what was extraordinary. And I had,
0: I remember the exact bend we were coming around. Yeah. And like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we ended up in our hotel room having this, a very deep conversation facilitated by you where you introduced this concept of a withhold and we have so the, basically something you want to tell the other person that you have been withholding. And we've, we, we now basically a withhold is a compliment is anything positive in our minds. And after any coaching, any session, anything after this podcast, one will ask the other, you know, I have a withhold for you or ask for a withhold. We have rules. Sometimes people <laughs> will share self withhold, <laughs> which is not okay. Um, but our framework has been that because we're we're so used to it, if somebody note, does something remarkable in a coaching or something we want to see more of, or whatever it is, anything positive, we'll make a mental note or, or a physical note, and we'll share it with the other. But we've also built the the habit of sharing negative withholds. And so because we do it very often, very often we'll say, huh, in this moment, or, or maybe it'll be a question, I wasn't sure where you're going. I you know maybe you took a little bit too long down that line and i wanted to jump in i didn't because i wanted to see where you were going or or i thought you trudged on a on a line that wasn't completely in integrity and i think we should talk about that we've built a habit of really bringing those up very quickly so we nip them in the bud but what tends to happen for the bigger ones the ones that compound the ones that we would bring up with you it still seems to be a similar pattern where because I'm in this insatiable optimist, and I, my brain and body just tend to suppress the negatives. And so I just see the world in a very rosy, optimistic way. As, a, as a the Enneagram self. 7 as well. Yeah, as a way to preserve my sanity. And whereas Michael can't, live with an open loop. So if something's nagging, he can't perform or live or sleep. And whereas <laughs> I just get one good night of sleep and I'm back on, <laughs> back on as if nothing had ever happened. So what tends to happen is after a while, Michael will say, hey, can we have a conversation? And we'll sit down and, and talk. And usually, and this has happened, it happens both ways, but I'd say probably two thirds of the time it's Michael and he'll just lay out very very simply what what the issue is with him and we'll have a very open conversation about it just like you would in a in a relationship with your partner and we i think because we've been doing this since the very beginning and because you've helped facilitate many of these conversations early on they now flow very very fluidly and we can bring up things that are really difficult or scary or hit on our on our egos and we're capable of of really having deep open conversations and
0: starting anew that's been very very powerful yeah that's very cool and it sounds like you know what i always notice is that there's such a level of uh well two things really there's a level of respect which i think you know is is underlies the success of any relationship is a level of respect you can disagree with each other but you don't lose the respect and i know you guys have tremendous respect for each other and just the the amount of playfulness and joy that you bring to it sometimes <laughs> too much <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you guys are always having fun you're always playful you always you, you always bring humor and joy to the relationship which i love the, the enneagram thing is interesting so you know you're an enneagram 7 tristan michael you're in enneagram 3 And this is a very, very common combination in relationships because the seven is uh, optimistic, like you said, full of ideas, brings a lot of fun, playfulness, joy, you know, endless possibility. And the Enneagram three brings a lot of structure and kind of going, okay, this is great, but how are we going to move this forward? And so, I think it's it's a really good example the way you, you kind of just described how a, a successful seven three relationship can look, where you tristan go, Hey, you know, I understand Michael can't have these open loops. He doesn't he doesn't want to constantly live with seventy-five ideas in in his head. That might be fun for you. But ultimately for him, at some point he's gonna to want to start putting some into action and actually see some progress and know, hey, what are the seven things we actually have to do this week to move one of these ideas forward.
1: We've actually been using that very explicitly. Like Every once in a while, Michael will say, okay, I want to turn on your visionary brain. And he'll just <laughs> say, paint me a picture. We're two years from now, and this is happening. Like, and and then he says, go. And I, it's well, one of the most wonderful, and I just go crazy And then after a while, he has to rein me in. But I'll use the same thing for him. I'll I'll say, okay, I have this. I have this vision. I I need your help. And I'll paint the vision, and I say, make this into something that can actually happen. Go. And then he'll just go down into like simplifying everything, getting rid of ninety-eight percent of all of the fluff, pulling out something really powerful. And then, so we've been using. We've been. I remember we we read this on paper, like how you can use. But it, it took yeah. the real world for us to bring this into life. Because I
2: think you want to play both roles. As a person, you don't want to... I didn't want to feel like I'm not a visionary. Like, uh, <laughs> like, Like we're not equals in all of these aspects. And at the same time, I wanted Tristan to have more structure, to take on more structural <laughs> tasks, you know? And I think that what I've... Practiced more. And I think we both have is, uh, is being okay with, with what we are and what we aren't. And I think I, I heard a quote somewhere recently of, of like a great entrepreneur doesn't just know what he's good at. A great entrepreneur know, knows what he's not good at and finds ways to fill those gaps. And so I think it's, it's been a learning experience for us to play into each other's strengths and use each other as assets.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <That's wonderful. laughs> but this is such a great conversation. I just see Joe says, um, I love how you work together to visualize and strategize. It's an mm. epic partnership and it is an epic partnership. And you guys are probably even in this conversation seeing how epic it is because you're living it day to day. You don't always get to reflect like this. So it's really cool to, to actually see how you guys have grown and see how you, you utilize this way of, of being. Yeah, I try to do it more and more. Like every time I, you know, at the moment I'm kind of looking at how to grow the business and what direction to take it, and I'm constantly looking. Well, who am I? Like, what are my strengths? The Enneagram seven again, same as you Tristan. and I'm, you know, visionary and look at the big picture can have lots of ideas, know how to bring play to everything, and you know, I in the wealth dynamics test, I'm the star profile, and so you know, it's it's about being the the front of the business. This is called the Nathan Seward Show. You know, creating that 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 brand around my. uh around who I am and what I want this business to represent. And then uh, what I'm not good at is, you know, deal-making, putting together, uh, you know, doing the accounts, (laughs) putting together courses and anything mechanical. And so I'm trying to be really ruthless about keeping that boundary going forward, making sure I'm not drifting into doing those things, which I know like you, Tristan, like you're a smart guy as well. So you can actually force your way to do anything, which doesn't mean you should. So it's, it's yeah, how do you be really a good word? Yeah. And, and I heard you use that word a couple of times at the start, how you can just power through things. And I think that that can be a mistake as opposed to going, Hey, I could do this. I could do the accounts. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely um, inept in that, in that area, but why don't I find somebody for the right price who that is in their zone of genius and we can create a great partnership around that. So I think this is just a really great conversation for business in general. So let's just come back to your business uh, and and who you're looking for. Who are the type of people? I know you talked about teams and some corporate stuff. If an individual wants to work with you or even wants to bring their team to work with you, who are you looking for and and how does the process kind of work?
2: We tend to look for people who have a habit of over-preparing. I think that when when we get approached, the, our favorite type of person that's an individual is usually a high performer who says that this is the last piece left to unlock. And so they're super great at their job. They are clearly more intelligent than both of us combined. And yet they have this nagging feeling that they carry day to day that they can't really express themselves where it matters most. And so this type of person tends to overprepare for everyday presentations, tends to feel so much dread if they have something really important, like a, like a stage presentation or a high stakes meeting. And more than anything, I think this person tends to live with two identities who they are in life and who they are at work. And who they are at work is not fun. It's hyper controlled. It's hyper curated and it's constantly like being at the top of a house of cards. And what we hear a lot is this feeling of any day I'm going to get found out. Like I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm not going to do well. And everyone's going to know that I don't belong here. And so speaking tends to be the one area where they, it's really hard to control but they'll do anything they can, they'll over-prepare, they'll go over their scripts, they'll really put everything they have into it only to hate the experience, to feel like they underperformed and, and they leave disappointed knowing that, eh. And I think at the end of the day, our mission is to help turn speaking into a strength, not just into a, hey, we'll help you overcome your fear, That happens pretty quickly, but how do you make it one of those things where you just feel kind of bulletproof when it comes to speaking on the spot? And so whether we help people prepare for the stage or this is just something that's part of their daily lives, you know, we're really passionate about helping people feel like this is something that they can use everywhere. And there's skills to it, it's part partly mindset, but it really is the missing piece in in these people's lives and it's just so fulfilling to be,
0: to be able to help them strengthen that part. Interesting when someone comes to you, how do you work with them? What does it look like?
1: So when it's, a, when it's an individual, it varies. Most of the time, we've, it used to be that we'd need at least a full day with someone to see an impact. And then we started, so we'd do only full day intensives and then we started doing only half day intensives. And then we stopped calling them intensives because we could do it in a few hours. And now we've found out that within in a group class, within 30 to 40 minutes, we can see an absolutely remarkable change. In many cases, it looks like magic from the outside. When you're watching this and you see somebody come up and speak for the first time, then sit back down and then stay up for 30 minutes. And at the end, give a just look like a different human being. It's it's really remarkable. So, we love having people come into a, one of our master classes, which are small group classes, three people usually, over two, two and a half hours, where everybody gets to see the other person get coached in the hot seat and offer reflections of what they're noticing. And that usually is the starting point. And then from there, depending on who we're working with and how, intense their issue is, we'll work with them for three or four sessions, and we'll, we're, we will mix individual sessions with group sessions. Or we've worked six months, even a year, with certain C-level executives or founders to really, really help them hone, not only hone their skill and turn the, this weakness into a strength, but also they'll use us as their secret weapon. So if they have anything coming up, they have a town hall coming up, they have a speech to give, a presentation, anything important, a pitch, they're going to use us to hone that and bring these skills into the real world. And what we've noticed is that it has a it has an immediate effect on how their teams or their company depending on how high they are show up because action speaks so much stronger than words and A lot of the times, we'll have people say that I used to tell them to do this, (laughs) and they wouldn't do anything. And now that I'm showing up in this way, I'm noticing that everybody else has given themselves the permission to show up in this way. So that's that's been really powerful. And then when it comes to teams, our approach is a little bit.
0: Give us the uh, the 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 ten second summary on this one. It's a bit tight for time.
2: Yes. Well, ten second teams. Teams speak better when they feel comfortable expressing themselves. It's all about psychological safety. So we come in with culture and environment as the front runner, really a team building. What you get out of it is a is a good speaking training underneath the surface. Um but it's all about connecting with the people around you. Brilliant.
0: Uh, we also joke that you guys haven't got a huge social media presence. Uh but if people want to find you, I know they can go to your website, which is ultraspeaking.com, right? Yeah. And in fact,
2: uh, we, we set up a special page for, for your listeners. It's ultraspeaking.com slash Nathan. Uh, how do you spell your name?
0: <laughs> Great question. N-A-T-E-D-A-W-G. <laughs> <laughs> Nate Dogg. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: ultraspeaking.com slash Nathan. You'll get a, a a download of our book. We wrote a book on what we found to be some of the just the most breathtaking principles that we've discovered. Uh, along our journey. And it's all about how to speak better on the spot and feel more confident in the moment.
0: Yeah, this book is awesome. I want everybody to get on there and and get it because it's a book that you've... I know you guys put a ton of work into it. It's not something that you whipped up overnight. You guys really wanted to express all of a lot of what we've talked about into a really digestible way. And it's a great way that people can experience all this incredible stuff that you've learned the hard way over the last couple of years and working with hundreds of people. So ultraspeaking.com slash Nathan, get a copy of the book. And I'll put the links to that here and then also on the um, the podcast when it comes out. Uh, guys, favorite question of the, uh, the podcast every week about your dark side. Who wants to tackle this first? What is your dark side and how have you found ways to embrace the darker side or the darker parts of yourself?
1: I've struggled with this since you told us you'd asked this question. <laughs> I could go in so many directions. I I haven't it's up to right now. I still don't know if I have a great answer, but I do want to be genuine and not find a way out of it. I think my uh I'm going to interpret what the dark side is with the, the thing I struggle with the most. And I think it's the reverse of one of my strengths, but it's it's I also dark
0: watched. because you you it, you struggle to show it, right? So it's in the dark for Yeah, okay. I like that. Yeah.
1: I struggle to show it and I and I struggle with giving myself any love around that. I tend to not to dislike this side of me. That's me just getting completely completely lost. And I think it comes from the the flip side of being a super optimist and kind of like suppressing a lot of things that I should be seeing and I should be tackling and then they just compound over time and then one morning I wake up and I just don't want to do anything and I can't, I can't focus for more than one second. And I just lose, I, I lose myself. And if I let myself, if I don't have the structure around me and the environment to automatically pull me out of it. So it's, it's helps to have kids and a wife and a business that's functioning and an awesome business partner, because I can't sulk that long. I just got to, stand up and get to work really often. But if I didn't have this, I've had periods in my life where I haven't had anything, which is what I exactly what I wanted, no structure, no obligations of anything. Well, that came with days, sometimes weeks of this like very down cycle where I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, yeah, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't climb out of it. And, and my propensity for action just disappeared.
0: Yeah, I like this kind of frame of the dark side of the optimist. I think again, it's like uh, it's the dark side of the enneagram seven as well. Cool, Michael. Let's uh, before we wrap up, let's touch on your dark side. Uh,
2: I was hanging out with my uh, one of my best friends, Spencer, in Portland for uh, for a weekend, and we we really got to connect and, and spend some time together because um, we live in separate cities now. And at the end of it, we. Uh, I, I did this interesting thing. I said, okay, we're wrapping up. It's great to see you. Um, Do you have any advice for me? And we're always talking about life advice to one another. And, uh and we spent this whole weekend together talking about all these different things. But the advice he gave to me was try and control less. And I think that's the side that I still struggle with and almost want to hide because it's, this is what I'm supposedly the master of when it comes to speaking is showing up, being spontaneous, trusting the moment and just being totally willing to, to go with the flow. And I, I really think that, you know, I kind of get why certain people get addicted to the stage or get addicted to being performers. Cause when you're in your element, it feels amazing. Um, and so when I coach, when I do these workshops, when I speak, even these podcasts, I feel incredible because I'm in my element. I'm truly practicing everything I believe about living a, a spontaneous life. But when the conversation ends, when I go home, when I'm no longer in the business, but now I have to work on the business, have to work on the relationships and on myself. Uh old patterns take over. And I find it hard to trust that uh that everything is just gonna work out and that i can be more impactful through non-action than through sending 50 emails and following up 20 times and mm-hmm. all of these things so i think that this is that for me this entire journey is just unlearning my programming unlearning how i was raised it's becoming it's becoming a master, a Lao of, Tzu of really going with the flow, of building out that trust in life, not just in speaking. And I think that I'm super early on that journey. And, uh, and it'll continue to be this dark side, this side that I don't really want to have anymore um, for a long, long time. And hopefully over the years, it'll be something that softens.
0: Thank you for sharing that, first of all. But it feels like the kind of thing that's like the, your life's work, right? It's not about getting somewhere, but it's about the question that you're constantly living into. You know, how present am I? How surrendered am I in this moment? And just constantly reflecting on that question. Very much so. Guys, thank you. It's um, I miss you guys. It's is amazing to just be able to sit here and, and have an hour yeah. chatting again. It's, uh, it's been a while since we've done this. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you. Thank you for... Um, Thank you for trusting in me and and, uh, giving me the the opportunity to have a little impact on you guys on your journey. It was a real privilege and a lot of fun, actually, including our trip to New Zealand. Yes. uh, Spending time with you guys. So thank you. Guys, go to uh, ultraspeaking.com slash Nathan. Don't forget to grab that book. Uh, We touched on a lot of topics here, a few things that were not expected, imposter syndrome, uh, co-founder relationships and communication, as well as what these guys do best, which is uh, speaking and finding confidence in your speaking. So if you know anybody that's going to benefit from any of those topics, share this around, uh, send it to them, give them the gift, tag them in the post, and uh, we'll love you forever. Uh, Guys, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be back uh, next week with, what is it, almost 100, episode number 98 of The Nathan Seawood Show.
1: That was The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life.